tripping quite literally all the way around America in their minds and on their bus, I suppose. I've just made that up. Tripping. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Geordie. How are you? Was that good? Was that sexy voice? Uh, Hi, Geordie. I wasn't aware of it being... Is that... Were you attempting a sexy voice? Is that what we're having here? A sexy convo? Are we having phone (laughs) sex? What's happening? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my Lord. No. It was a little bit Marilyn and then I kept thinking of... No one knows about that, Michelle, because that was our Patreon episode. You'll just have to get on Patreon and have a listen, yes. won't you, if you want to know what we're on about. You can hear my very best Marilyn Monroe impression, which I won't do here. You'll have to sign up to listen. <laughs> but before all of that, we should introduce ourselves. We should. I'm Geordie. And I'm Michelle. And you are eavesdropping on us. That's correct. We're friends. We talk a lot. You get to listen. Aren't you lucky? <laughs> <laughs> That was my King Charles impersonation. <laughs> Charles, Camilla, I can't even do it. I sound like Grover. Uh, 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 Camilla. <laughs> That's the one, isn't it? It is the one. Grover. Michelle, I just need to apologise to you. What for this time? Well, last week when we were doing the episode, I was talking about the Phantom of Heilbronn and you were talking about the Berkshire UFO spottings, which was fascinating, by the way. Thank yeah. you. At one point, you corrected me and I said, you're not listening. And actually, I did say 150 euros, not okay. 150,000 euros. So I apologize. Apologies to you. Oh, you're not <laughs> listening to me. You don't listen to me. Oh, it's okay. You know, so I know I didn't even realize that I'd made the boo-boo until I heard it back. So I do apologize. You know how we've uh, got lots of lovely people on our social media following us and stuff. They're enjoying all the shout outs. I won't give them another one because I think that it'll go to their head. But we do have a lot of lovely listeners who are writing in and sending us great stories and giving us shout outs on their social media thanks Yasmin we're so lucky aren't we we really are we really are we love you guys we love our listeners because you love us it's a mutual two-way love-a-thon it's a loving exactly oh you dingling oh you dingling I've got something to tell you Michelle tell me I'm worried somebody told me this at work There's a Japanese steakhouse in Florida and they wrote in a Facebook post that they would be permanently closing their restaurant after 10 years in business because there was lots of news reports and online social media posts about the allegation that seven customers tested positive for meth, crystal meth, hours after eating at the restaurant. I know. And two groups of people who had been seated together and ate at the restaurant both reported feeling drugged and odd after eating at the restaurant the day before. So they went to the hospital and seven people tested positive for meth. One of them was a family, 12-year-old boy, 16-year-old girl, mum and dad. They didn't know why they had sat up all night till 6am cleaning their rooms, grinding their teeth and chatting. Best night of their life. I don't know if it was. It sounded quite awful. (laughs) How terrifying. Bit of Tina, that's what it is. It's what? Tina? Bit of Tina. Oh, God. <laughs> Apparently it's called Tina. Tina? Tina's not welcome for dinner at my house. No, Tina can go do one. Absolutely. 
That's terrifying. I don't think it was the restaurant. I cannot imagine that that would be the restaurant. I think, I was going to say somebody in their party had no. spoke their dinner. But who would waste good meth? I know. And it's weird, good meth. Apparently you just make it out of bleach or something. It's really easy to make. I don't think it's that easy. Otherwise, everyone would be doing it. They do, Michelle. They do. Except for us. We, we just don't. make cups of tea. That's Cocktails. right. Cocktails. Yes. In other news, more yes. food-related news, a high-profile French restaurateur is leaving his restaurant after more than three dozen customers reportedly contracted, wait for it, syphilis after eating there. What? Oh, my God. This was a work goss session today. This is what I, I learned at work today. Jordi, are you, are you trying to give me nightmares? Because this is my fiancé's worst nightmare. What, giving everyone syphilis? To get, giving anyone <laughs> anything other than a good time. <laughs> I mean, that's just awful. Do you know what? We get a lot of spam. And it happens to people in, in town a lot. Yeah. There's an email and it says, Dear Sir which already you know, it's like dodgy. Dear sir, I ate at your restaurant last night. Greetings of the day. Greetings of the day. <laughs> I ate at your restaurant last night and have a bad case of food poisoning. Mm, yeah. Please pay me 5,000 okay. francs and I won't post a bad review and tell right. everyone. Well, And it's like, well, we were closed last night, so it wasn't us. This isn't the case, unfortunately. And I said to my friend at work, I said, well, I really hope it's nowhere I've eaten. Then I looked at the report and it just so happens this restaurant is in the Haute Savoie region, which is where I just was <laughs> two weeks ago. And Annecy. Annecy? Yeah, it's there. Mm. There's this French guy, Jacques de Noiré. He had previously won loads of awards He's owned this restaurant for over 10 years. It's called Le Galleon. I'm naming it. And it had a Michelin three-star rating. And like I said, it was in Annecy. In France, like I said, where I was on holiday two weeks ago, it's on the border of the Swiss and Italy, Italy borders. It was famous and people would come from all around to eat his creme soufflé. Gastronomes right. would travel for miles to taste it. It was a very high-end dessert. But after laboratory analysis of the creme souffle, Mr. De Noire was forced to admit that the secret ingredient he used was human sperm. What? From one of his employees. No. Yes. No. No, yes. no, 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 no. That can't be true, Geordie. Well, it is it true. It's been reported in the news, so it must be true. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm sorry, you can't just you can't just jack off into a souffle. You well, cannot whisk that into your eggs. The chef is asking for him to contribute. This uh, syphilis-addled employee has been spunking into oh, the creme yeah. souffle for for a while now. Apparently, that's what makes it taste so nice. Disgusting. Oh my god! It reminds me of last week's episode when you were talking about the. MK Ultra guy Gottlieb, Stanley Gottlieb, who was putting dose mm. high doses of LSD in all the food. And that leads me to what I'm talking about today, people, because I am doing a deep dive. Right. I thought you were actually going to say it reminds you of the woman whose mouth got impregnated by a squid. Oh, I forgot about that. Could have told that story <laughs> at lunch. How could you forget? <laughs> 
can you forget? It was probably because it was awful. So yeah, terrifying. It was awful. I did hear, sorry, just to segue mm. off again, because I was talking about this last night about, you know, the little, the mini Christmas tree that grew in the man's chest that we did on the episode about strange oh. things growing in your body. <laughs> yes. Because my son and his friends were talking about, my eldest son, the grown up one, were talking about the guy who went to hospital who had apparently fallen on his, tripped and fell on his loo brush. But the loo brush, brace yourself, was bristles first up the arse. No. Oh, my God. I hope no one's eating because that is just so unhygienic, really, isn't it? That's a fucking juice dropper right there. <laughs> well, do you know what? Really, a loo brush. Yeah. It can't it's just got shit on it. Where's it going? It's going back up the shit hole, Blah. isn't it? Right up the old... Well, where it came from, where it belongs. Bum Here hole. Here we go, Michelle. <laughs> Calm yourself down. No more bum talk, Michelle. You're obsessed. Do you know what? I did actually have Neil the Scientist. He didn't even say hello. I just got a message from him that just said, I'm now obsessed with Marilyn's bum hole. That was it. <laughs> no hello, nothing. Uh. If you don't know what we're talking about, you have to go back last week, I think. No, two weeks to listen. Two weeks ago. Episode 28 or 29 or 30. I don't know where we're up to. Where are we, Michelle? Where are we? I think that was 33. 33. That's it. Listen, I've got to crack on with this deep dive because I've got a lot to tell you. Okay, go for it. I'm excited. So, LSD. LSD. It's a where are they now deep dive. And I got a lot of my information from the internet, mostly Wikipedia, some CNN reports, some court reports. Most of us have heard of this. It's the Manson family murders. And I'm not going to talk about the murders because they're appalling. And everybody's heard it a hundred times. They happened in... I'm just going to do a quick recap, though, but I'm not going to go into... (laughs) Sorry. I'm not going to talk gonna about talk it, but about. I'm going to talk about it a little just bit. Just a little bit, just so you, you can place yourself. You Gen Zs, you can just place yourselves. August 1969. There's lots of information out there. There's books, documentaries, podcasts, and of course, the fictionalized with a different outcome, Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. Most people know that Charles Manson was able to weaponize young hippies in the late 60s through excessive use of hallucinogens. And a huge dose of charisma, they say. He and his followers used to live on a hippie bus for a while, picking up waves and strays until some slight towards aspiring musician Manson sent him spiralling into a murderous plot. Because I don't know, how much do you know about the Manson guys? I know a bit, but I think my knowledge is fractured. I'm going to have to ask you to put your listening ears on today and try very hard to focus on all the different names I'm going to give you because there's a lot... I was more interested in talking about his followers today because you know I will listen, but you're not allowed to say you don't listen, not listen to me if I um okay it's <laughs> I get it it's wrong. going to be a wild ride because I was really interested in all the people, especially the young women, young women who did Manson's bidding, which is brutally murder a lot of people. One was an eight month pregnant actress. So the 25th of July, 1969, Manson sent his follower, Bobby Beausoleil, to a musician called Gary Hinman's house to steal from him. Because this guy had open house and everybody thought he had loads of money. They used to hang out there a lot. And when Hinman told him that he didn't have any money, Bobby Beausoleil beat him up. And a few days later, under Manson's instructions, Bobby Beausoleil murdered his friend, Gary Hinman, and left a bloody handprint on the wall alongside the words, political piggy the reason he wrote the words was because Manson had told everybody that there was a race war about to erupt 
and that the white population was rising up against the black population. He preached this to his followers and called it Helter Skelter because he was a mad Beatles fan, you see, Michelle. Yeah. So while this war was supposed to be going on, the Manson family were supposed to be living underground, waiting it out. This is his predictions and he would preach this. And then the black population would emerge victorious. But of course, Manson believed they couldn't govern themselves. So this is where the Manson family would emerge from a hole in the ground, God knows how long after, and they would be the bosses of the world. That was his manifesto, if you like. Fucking crazy, flawed, fucked up ideas. So the murder of Hinman and the following carnage was set up so that Manson could bring about this race war a bit quicker. He wanted to frame the Black Panthers for these murders, okay? So on the 8th of August, 1969, Manson instructed his followers, Susan Atkins, Linda Kasabian, Patricia Krenwinkel, and a guy called Charles, known as Tex, we're going to call him Tex from now on, Watson, to the Beverly Hills home of the Valley of the Dolls actress and Roman Polanski's young wife, she was 26, Michelle, very beautiful woman, Sharon Tate, with the instruction to kill everyone in the house. Now, Polanski was out of town at the time. Tate was eight months pregnant, like I said. She'd had some people around for dinner. Her friend and celebrity hairdresser, Jay Sebring, he's like the celebrity hairdresser. There's a Polish friend of Roman Polanski's there, Wojciech Frakowski, and his girlfriend, Abigail Folger, who was a coffee heiress. Also, there's a guest house where a young man is living and somebody was visiting him that night, a young guy by the name of Stephen Parent. He was unfortunate enough to be the first victim because he, he was trying to drive out as Tex and the girls were driving in. Tex shot him and killed him. Fucking hell. You know what? I thought I knew about the Manson's family and all of the murders. Turns out I absolutely know fuck all. Okay. This is already wild. So I'm not going to go into the details about what happened, yeah. but carnage, right? There's three women and a man. They've got a gun. They've got knives and they kill everybody there. And that's all I'm going to say about it. There are more detailed accounts if you really want to hear it, but I don't want to talk about it. Now, apparently Manson thought it was a bit sloppy because also they wrote a lot of words in blood. Things like political piggy. No, mm. uh, political. No, that was the other murder. Pig. They wrote pig and things like that. Yeah. They said at the time it was because of the Beatles' White Album, Have You Seen the Little Piggies? You know, they loved that. But I think it was the pig thing was almost, I think they were trying to get Beausoleil off because he'd written pig at his murder. So they put pig at this murder to say, well, it can't be Beausoleil, let him out. Right. Okay. Or they might just join the dots and say it's a group and they're all connected. Mm. Well, that is actually... What it is, though, that would be giving the game away. Mm. I don't think they were really thinking very straight. They were high. Anyway, the next night was the 9th of August, 1969. A woman called Leslie Van Houten, who was absent from the first murders. Tex again, Tex Watson. Again, Patricia Krenwinkel. Again, Linda Kasabian. Again, Susan Atkins. No, she wasn't at the first. Yes, she was at the first one, wasn't she? Yes, I think so. And a guy called Clem Grogan and Charles Manson all went to the neighborhood in Los Feliz and went to a house of a man called Leno LaBianca and his wife Rosemary. Leno was a supermarket mogul. Manson went in with everybody but left with Linda Kasabian, Susan Atkins and Clem Grogan while the rest of them savagely murdered the husband and wife. Fucking hell. And again, Awful. they wrote all over the house in blood, death for pigs, rise, on the refrigerator door was helter-skelter, 
they were really making their mark. So I'm not going to go again into details. But a week after those murders, Charles Manson and Patricia Krenwinkel and other family members were arrested on suspicion of stealing cars and burning stuff on this ranch where they were living. So they were living at this place called Spahn Ranch, which was something to do with the movies. There was a lot of stuntmen living there and horses and things like that. It's very much like the film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if you've seen it. They basically moved in. There's an old blind guy who owns the ranch. The girls just, you know, had sex with him and kind of he was a pushover. And they just lived there, their little hippie kind of lifestyle, free loving all over the place. So basically, the police only cottoned onto them because they did dumb shit on Spahn Ranch. Exactly. And burned stuff and made a bit of a nuisance. Otherwise, They wouldn't have known. They have not been connecting the dots. So they went and arrested a bunch of them, put them in prison. But after an error with the paperwork, they were released after some of them spent some time in jail. But one by one, members were beginning to drop out because some of them were horrified. Linda Kasabian was one, and I'm going to talk about her a little bit later. There was another murder, though, Michelle, that you may not know about. It was on Spahn Ranch. It was a man called Donald Shorty Shea, who was a stuntman and a ranch hand at Spahn, who initially coexisted quite happily with the family members when they took over the ranch, but then was murdered late August 1969 after the Tate LaBianca murders. So they say that Susan Atkins lured him to a remote spot on the ranch where he was then ambushed and killed by one other member called Bruce Davis and Clem Grogan. And his body wasn't found for eight years. So this wasn't part of the the serial killings. The initial, the Manson family murders. What was the motivation? It was because they thought that he was about to dob them in or something. It was Manson getting paranoid, I think, yeah. They were high as fucking kites, weren't they? So they would have had a lot of paranoia. He was feeding them huge amounts of LSD and not taking the same amounts. Right, okay. So the leftover members of the Manson family, they all moved to another ranch in Death Valley, But meanwhile, Susan Atkins, she's in prison for the car stuff and for burning stuff on the ranch. And while she was there after the first raid, she told some cellmates, Virginia Graham and Veronica Howard, about the involvement in the Tate-LaBianca murders. She gave them also a list of celebrities that she and the other family members had planned to kill in the future. They included Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, Tom Jones, Steve McQueen and Frank Sinatra. Fuck, they went A-list. Uh-huh. These were the days, I guess, where you could just walk into someone's house. There mm. wasn't security. There wasn't a lot of... Well, there was no CCTV. No, there wasn't. Or anything like yeah. that. And No gated community. No, no. The best thing you had was probably a dog. You know, yeah, a exactly. Dog, exactly. If anything. Yeah. Good old days. Good old days. Bad old days for these guys. So these cellmates immediately informed authorities and Patricia Cranwinkle was then arrested near her aunt's home in December 1969 and then pretty much the whole thing fell apart for the Manson family and they were all in custody. Leslie Van Houten was not accused of the murders at the Polanski's house but was present and active at the scene of the LaBianca slaying. At the trial, Patricia Krenwinkle, who was at both, didn't seem to care that she might be looking at a death sentence because it was death sentences back then, Michelle, and spent much of the trial just drawing doodles of devils and satanic imagery And she had remained loyal to Manson and the family whilst the trial was going on and would often walk into court hand in hand with both Atkins and Van Houten. You'll see these pictures of them at different times. They'll be singing songs written by Manson. 
They shaved their heads when he shaved his head. They carved an X in their forehead because that's what Manson did. And in court, Manson, after he put the X on his forehead, he announced, I have X'd myself from your world. I mean, this is proper cult devotion. Yeah. This is followers who actually just vacate their own personalities to become they were young followers of someone. They were so young. And drugged. Their brains were fucked. To begin with, like I said, Corinne Winkle was loyal to Manson and the family, but after a little while, she did begin to distance herself. And since being in prison, she's maintained a perfect prison record. She's gained a degree. She was involved with Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous in the prison, and she taught illiterate prisoners how to read. But she remains in prison. I'm flipping back and forth a little bit here because I wanted to do a where are they now kind of thing, you see. Yeah. Going back. Manson was denying any involvement or coercion of the defendants, co-defendants. Patricia Krenwinkel said of this that he was absolutely lying about not ordering the murders. She said there wasn't one thing done that was even allowed to be done without his express permission. He was the mastermind. Of course he was at the top of this pyramid of doom. Yeah. Come on. Back to Krenwinkel, she had a parole hearing in 2016 and the defence claimed that she was suffering from battered woman syndrome at the hands of Manson during the time of the murders, but investigations into this claim were postponed by the courts. So that's all I'm going to say about her. Well, I'm surprised they went with that and not brainwashing because that's clearly what was going on here. They couldn't get away scot-free though because, Michelle, what they did, it was bad. I know. I mean, they were really inhumane, cruel. I know brainwashing and being under the influence of drugs, it's no excuse. You you do the crime, you do the time, but fuck, man. I'll tell you now about Susan Atkins, a.k.a. Sexy Sadie. Again, with the Beatles reference. She was given that name by Manson. As a child... She said her parents were alcoholics and her mother died of cancer in 1964. And after her mother's death, her father moved her and her siblings around a lot until eventually he just abandoned them. In 1966, Atkins went with school friends to San Francisco over the Christmas school break. And in 67, she was working as a stripper. And we've spoken about this before in Los Angeles, where Anton LaVey, who was the um, Church of Satan leader, Yep. hired her for a performance. Do you remember we did an episode on LaVey and the Church of Satan and we spoke about this in the episode? Yep, all connected, weirdly. But in 1967, she finally met Manson at a group house where she was living. And when she found herself homeless again, Manson invited her to stay with the family in their converted school bus doing a hippie trip, tripping quite literally all the way around America in their minds and on their bus, I suppose. I've just made that up. Tripping. <laughs> Literally tripping. But do you think that must have been a bit of a, a lifeline for her at the time? Gotcha. Because she probably thought, I met these great guys. Yep. They want to take me on the bus. You know, maybe I'll drink the Kool-Aid, but maybe I won't. And charming. He has this way of, because he has sex with all of them. And he has this way of making them feel very special, apparently. That's what they all do. All the cult leaders fuck their followers. Yeah. Back to Atkins. So she thought he was Jesus. And a lot of them did actually say that they thought he was Jesus. And then when they all moved to the Spahn Ranch in 1968, she had a baby with Bruce White, who is, by the way, he has a different name, which Manson gave him. It is Zizo Zozi Zadfrak Glutz. 
Okay, that's almost as good as Zelda Zonk. <laughs> and if you don't know what we're referring to, you've got to listen to the Marilyn Monroe episode. Exactly. So when Atkins was convicted of the murders, she had her parental rights revoked when she was convicted. None of her family would take care of the baby, so her son was adopted and renamed in 1969. And then she had no further contact with him. And Susan Atkins is no longer with us. She died in prison at age 61 from a terminal brain cancer. I can't quite get a fact on that, but she died from a terminal illness. Now, can I just ask? Yeah. Because I can't remember. But from memory, I think Charles Manson was kind of handsome. No. No? I'm going to say no to that. That's a flat no. (laughs) That's a hard no. Why don't you quickly just Google him while I tell you some more things? I'll tell you now about Linda Kasabian, who acted as lookout on the nights of the killings, both killings. She was there. She was star witness for the prosecution. She arrived in the Manson family with a baby girl in tow. She'd been raised in, I think, New Hampshire. Uh, She'd had a bit of a wayward life. Uh, She'd been married, I think, a couple of times. She's still quite young. She had a baby. She came to the family And then she was chosen to be the getaway driver at Cielo Drive, which was the Tate murders. And she told the court that once she heard the horrible screams of the victims, she left the car. She says, I started to run towards the house. I wanted them to stop. I knew what they had done to Steve Parent, the young man, she said. He was the 17-year-old they shot at first. And that they were killing these people and I wanted them to stop. So she turned up from the driveway. She approached the house and she saw Frikoski running out the front door. And she said in her testimony, there was a man just coming out of the door and he had blood all over his face and he was standing by a post. And we looked in each other's eyes for a minute and I said, oh God, I am so sorry, please make it stop. But then he just fell to the ground into the bushes. Then Watson came out and finished Frykowski off. Kasabian says she tried to stop the murders by claiming that she had heard people coming onto the Tate property, but Atkins insisted that it was too late. According to Watson and Atkins, Kasabian stood rooted to the front lawn, watching with a horrified expression as her companions committed the murder. Murders, I should say. Kasabian testified that while in a state of shock, she ran towards the car, started it up and considered driving away to get help. But then she became concerned for her daughter back at Spahn Ranch. Not surprisingly, because if she turns them in, they're going to turn on her. Exactly. And now she knows what they're capable of. The next night, Manson, Leslie Van Houten, Clem Grogan, they joined the quartet because according to Kasabian, Manson felt what they had done the night before was very sloppy. I think I mentioned that earlier. So they drove to the Labianca residence and, as you know, they murdered the people in there. I mean, what, what did they do that was so sloppy? I mean, you know, that they had to like go and do it again. Like, come on, guys, tighten up your game and get, get better at murdering. It was <laughs> like, too messy. I don't know. That was a sloppy murder, guys. Come on, get your shit together. That's awful. In court, she was asked why she went with the group again, knowing this time that that murdering would definitely happen. And Kasabian said that when Manson asked her to go with them, she was afraid to say no. I get it. She knew what they were capable of, as you said, and they could, in fact, kill her. Poor thing. Exactly. She told the court the grisly details of the murders and she was in floods of tears as she was saying it and it was clear that this family member was the only one with any empathy during this time she told the jury everything she'd been privy to during her stay with the family and while the murders were being arranged and during her time in court the media went into a frenzy because this is when the members the co-defendants were all acting up like crazy 
lots of theatrics. The free family members were intimidating her. The defendants would be disrupting her testimony with all these kind of weird things. And I don't know what exactly, but I do know that Manson ran his finger across his throat while glaring at Kasabian as she testified. And he kept doing that. She knew that if she didn't go along with it, that action would have been reality for her. And he did it to other prosecution witnesses as well. While being cross-examined by Manson's lawyer, she was shown massive full-colour crime scene photos of the Tate murders. And she reacted very emotionally, which was different to the other members. The tactic was meant to discredit Kasabian, but it actually backfired and it led to her being exonerated. And once she looked up from these pictures of Sharon Tate's body, she looked at the other defendants and said, how could you do that? To which Van Houten... Krenwinkel and Atkins all laughed and Manson's lawyer went on to question Kasabian to say how could she be certain that she wasn't involved considering the amounts of LSD she was taking and she said because I don't have that kind of thing in me to do something so animalistic. I do think that there are moments where you are on drugs not me personally not you Michelle you know the lawyers had a good point asking her that can I just say I did just look up Charles Manson. So is he hot or not? (laughs) Let's see what Michelle thinks. He's little. What does that mean? Do you think I'm going to find him hot because he's You said you like a little guy. I like a tall guy and a little guy. I just like guys. You like all guys, including Charles Manson? No. I had this image of him. It was just the free-flowing hair. And I thought he had that Jesus look. Actually, when you look at his face, (laughs) his (laughs) face is crazy he's got those crazy (laughs) eyes and I will say when you see pictures of people and I'm gonna say Jimmy Savile here you just think oh why'd you have to say that yeah I know but it's because you just sometimes can look at someone and go I just know that you're a wrong'un like you're just a wrong'un and you know what there was actually a picture of him as an older guy and you know how you said before that he carved an x into his forehead yeah He's turned that into a swastika. Yes, he has. Yes, yes. Nice guy. Um, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later as well. Back to Kasabian. At one point, three members of the family were attempting to say the killings were all Kasabian's idea. And obviously that was ridiculous. But they were just trying anything at this point. Now, she became really well known in America thanks to this trial. But after the trial, she went back to her home in New Hampshire to live with her husband and children on a hippie commune. And eventually she got done, like in later years, she got done for a lot of traffic violations until she had a car accident that left her partially disabled. And she was always under the Secret Services radar as well, because I'm not going to talk about it today because it's too much, but... There was another Manson member called Lynette Squeaky Froome who attempted to assassinate President Gerald Ford. That's a whole nother tale to tell. This is so intertwined. It's crazy. The Kennedys are going to be involved next. (laughs) The upshot for Kasabian, like the end of her, was she did die in this year, actually, in January 23, at the age of 73. Her and her daughter had been raided at some point for drugs and firearms and her daughter went to prison. And sadly, Kasabian has passed away. Extra, extra, read all about Give it. Give me the scoop. Eavesdropping wind and there's no doubt about it. Eavesdropping. Can I just say, Kasabian, all I can think of is the drum brand. It's the band. Oh. The drum, it's a dr- It's a brand of drums, no? And there's a band Kasabian called Kasabian. drums and yeah. there was a band as well. I wonder if they thought that through. Well, it was her name. Oh, if the band thought it through. They probably did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to talk very briefly about another member of the Manson family who was of interest to the media, the youngest one, 
Diane Lake. She was just 14 years old when she met Charles Manson. And it was because her parents had dropped out on acid and abandoned their children. No. That was her life. What did they think was going to happen to those kids? I don't know. I don't think they cared. She's got a book out, actually. So look her up because she's got a book out. It would be an interesting read, I think. But she was not involved in any of the murders. But she was held up by Manson, who she had a sexual relationship with, as the ideal member. He always said, look right. look to Diane. She's the one that knows how to behave. Yeah, because she was 14 exactly. and he's a freaking pedophile. Disgusting. Then there was Barbara Hoyt, who lived with the Manson family at Spahn Ranch. She planned to testify against the defendants at the Tate-LaBianca murders. Then five free followers who were named Catherine Scher, Lynette Froome, the one who tried to kill President Ford, Dennis Rice, Clem Grogan and Ruth Ann Morehouse all plotted to kill her. Morehouse lured Hoyt to Hawaii and tried to convince her not to testify and then the plan was to kill her. So she was preparing to go back to California she bought Hoyt a hamburger, which she then laced with a huge amount of LSD, back to what we were saying before, and then left the poor girl behind to have this terrible overdose on LSD. I don't know what that must have been like. Dreadful, but she didn't die. And the others were caught and charged with attempted murder. Well, I was going to say, that's a pretty fucking stupid way to kill somebody. Yeah. Like, put them on an LSD trip. If you've been dosing it, like, bit by bit, loads of times, like, for ages anyway, you've probably got a certain amount of resistance, resistance exactly. tolerance yeah. to it. They didn't think that through. There's better ways to... They didn't think it through. So Hoyt later became a nurse and... She became friends with Sharon Tate's sister, Deborah. Oh, yeah. How? I don't know. That's weird. Hoyt, Hoyt taught, <laughs> sorry, Hoyt, so hard to say that name. Hoyt died of natural causes in 2017 at the age of 65. Look, they're not living long, are they? Because no. 65 is not old. It's all the acid. No, their brains yeah. were fucked. I've got more things to tell you. Hang on. The trial. I'm going to talk about that. At Manson's trial, he denied his three female defendants had been asked by him to commit the murders. Leslie Van Houten clearly wasn't taking court seriously because she was giggling all the way through especially about the victims, which isn't very nice. Well, that, they're going to just add 10 years on just for that. Every giggle, 10 years, well, 10 years, 10 more. That's not what happened. And I will tell you what did happen. But she said later that she had been dosed with LSD during the trial and that's why she was behaving the way she was. But she testified to committing the murders and denied that Manson had been involved. But nevertheless, in March 1971, Manson, Atkins, Van Houten and Krenwinkel were all convicted of murder. And Tex Watson was tried and convicted later that year. They all received the death penalty. But the sentences were commuted to life imprisonment when California abolished capital punishment in 1972. Okay, so I guess they've never been allowed out, any of them, hopefully. Hold your horses, Michelle. <laughs> I'm holding them. Got more to tell you. It's a Where Are They Now episode. Leslie Van Houten was not accused of the Tate murders, but she was present and active at the scene of the Labianca slaying. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. She had been raised in a nice church-going family, along with an older brother and two adopted Korean siblings. Mm. When her parents divorced when she was 14, she turned to smoking pot around the age of 15 and then started the acid. And at 17, she ran away with her boyfriend, but returned to complete high school. She said that she discovered she was pregnant 
and ordered by her mother to have an abortion and bury the fetus in the backyard. I think it was a it was a home <gasps> abortion. I don't know, but it doesn't sound good. God, that poor girl. I mean, it's horrific. Was there any pain relief? She met Manson around the time she was living in a house, in a share house, in a four-way relationship with Bobby Beausoleil and two others. She joined the commune and quickly discovered that Manson had decided where they would eat, you know, when they would sleep, who they would have sex with, when they would have sex. And then he would administer huge doses of LSD to his followers, but not take the same amount, like I said Mm -hmm. before. She said, on reflection, she was saturated in acid and couldn't grasp the existence of anyone living in a non-psychedelic reality. Well, that's going to happen, isn't it? She was just probably a bit of a slave, really. I mean, she's like a mental slave to him. She was 19 years old, Michelle. She's young. And her role in the LaBianca murders was particularly involved and brutal, like I said before. But at her trial, she threw herself under the bus to try and save Manson still. She was the youngest woman ever condemned to death in California. Her defense was diminished responsibility due to LSD use and Manson's influence. The jury disagreed. So then in 2013, Van Houten was denied parole for the 20th time at a hearing in announcing a decision to deny parole the commissioner of the hearing board said that she had failed to explain how someone of her good background and intelligence could have committed such cruel and atrocious murders then in april 2016 a two-person panel of the california parole board recommended granting van houten's parole request but california governor jerry brown believed she remains an unacceptable risk to society if released. So she keeps trying. At this stage, she's probably, what, in her 60s? Late 60s. In January 2019, during her 22nd parole hearing, Van Houten was recommended for parole for the third time. But then Governor Gavin Newsom overruled the parole board's recommendation, claiming that the then 69-year-old Van Houten was still a danger to society. So she's 69 in 2019. I wonder, though, if she did get out, how she's going to assimilate into society after having her whole life in prison. Hold that thought. Van Houten turned her back on Manson a long time ago. She's expressed remorse for her crimes. She takes offence to the fact that Manson doesn't own up to his role in the murders. And she gained a master's degree in philosophy and was well regarded by those who met and worked with her in the prison as a tutor. Now I'm going to flip forward, back, sorry, backwards. Flip, flip, flip. Charles Manson. I am going to talk about him. I wasn't going to, but I think it's important. At his trial, the whole Helter Skelter narrative came out via one of the men. Can't remember which one. Sorry. Either Tex or Clem. He told the court how Manson had told them about this race war and that it was imminent and explained exactly how it would go down with the black people committing grisly murders of important white people and then revenge killings would start in the ghettos. Then the black Muslims would rise up and take action, resulting in an all-out war while the Manson family waited it out in this hole in the desert. And it all related back to the Bible's revelations chapters. But that occurred to Manson through listening to the Beatles' disturbing song on the White Album, Revolution Number (laughs) 9. Number nine. Number nine. We've talked about that just recently. This keeps coming up in this podcast, I know. What I don't understand is if black people, according to Manson, were going to rise up and kill important white people, why is Manson killing important white people? To frame the Black Panthers and the black people and to start the race war. Did I mention that the police raid on the Death Valley Ranch revealed a lot of World War II and Hitler documents? 
because it did. Turner Diaries, anyone? Now, if anyone was listening three weeks ago, four weeks ago to our London Nail Bomber episode, mm. I talked about the Turner Diaries, which is like a manifesto. And it's not even a manifesto. It, it's used as one, but it was actually a fictional account of this very thing. This is exactly what is going on in the Turner right. Diaries. All out war. It's race hate. Was Manson secretly a neo-Nazi, Michelle? You pointed out he had a swastika on his face. I think he fucking is. Was. Is. So much for the easy breezy free love and hippie, huh? Well, he was never, was he? He just latched onto that so he could control people. And then he used drugs to make it easier, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Back to the trial. Once the defence rested their case, the three women defendants began shouting that they wanted to testify, but their counsels refused to allow it. Even though Atkins seemed as if she would testify against Manson, she had reneged, probably because threats were made by other family members. Their attorneys felt that if the women spoke for themselves, it would be like aiding and abetting their suicide because they were basically killing themselves because it was a death penalty. But at what that else point. do they have to live for? You know, I mean, they weren't going to get off. But in the end, Manson did have his chance to speak first without the jury in case he implicated the co-defendants. And in this hour long rambling speech, he said, most of the people at the ranch that you call the family were just people that you did not want. People that were alongside the road that their parents had kicked out. And he's got a point yeah. there, Michelle, that did not want to go to juvenile hall. So I did the best I could. And I took them up on my garbage dump. And I told them this, that in love, there is no wrong. He also goes on to say, you are as much responsible for the Vietnam War as I am for killing these people, meaning the Tate LaBianca murders he then goes on to say these children talking about his family members in particular his co-defendants were finding themselves what they did if they did whatever they did is up to them they will have to explain that to you then he goes on to say you expect to break me impossible you broke me years ago you killed me years ago because he was in prison a lot as a young man he had a terrible right. upbringing but i mean no excuse, no excuse. Well, you know. a lot of people have terrible upbringings and they're not murdering people and then riding piggy with those people's blood on walls. But he didn't do that either, to be fair, Michelle. No, but like I said, he's the mastermind behind all of this and he's he trying to distance himself for his own benefit, but evil. Of course. He then goes on to say in this speech, and I found this quite interesting, is it a conspiracy that the music is telling the youth to rise up against the establishment because the establishment is rapidly destroying things? Is that a conspiracy? The music speaks to you every day, but you are too deaf, dumb and blind to even listen to the music. It is not my conspiracy. It is not my music. I hear what it relates. It says rise. It says kill. Why blame it on me? I didn't write the music. He's saying the Beatles made him kill people. Yeah. All right. Next time you see Sir Paul, just have a word. Next time I bump into him, I'll have a word. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure he had plenty of words at the time. During the sentencing of the defendants, which was the death penalty, as I said, Manson shouted, you people have no authority over me. And Krenwinkel declared, you have judged yourselves. Atkins said, better lock your doors and watch your own kids. And Van Houten said, the whole system is a game. And when the trial resumed after, I think there was a sentencing trial after this, Leslie Van Houten's attorney went missing, Ronald Hughes. What? He had disappeared over the weekend while camping in the remote northwest of Los Angeles. And it's believed that Manson had ordered the murder of Hughes because he was angling at pointing the finger at Manson to get Van Houten off. Oh, was he ever found? I think he was. But they couldn't prove who had killed him. So no one ever went to trial for Fuck. that. 
Do not compute. Well, I did some research. AKA Googling. Investor Googling. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Tex Watson. He doesn't get talked about because he's not as glamorous as all the girls, but he was quite brutal in all these murders. He was a country boy who was embroiled in Manson's world. And Susan Atkins testified that on the night of the Cielo Drive murders, he woke up Frakowski in the living room whispering, I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's business. And some believed Tex Watson was the true mastermind behind the murders. And he was convicted and sentenced to death in a separate trial in 1971, again commuted to life imprisonment. While in prison, Tex Watson became a born-again Christian and an ordained minister. And in a strange twist, Michelle, Rosemary LaBianca's daughter is a supporter of Watson's ministry. It's called Abounding Love, despite him being accused of using money from his ministry for personal use. So what, he did all this from inside prison? Yeah, he did. He says that he feels remorse for the crimes he committed and the lives he ended 50 years ago. And he says, I hate what I've done. I hate having to be the person that had committed a crime that's so hideous. I hate that. Do you know what? I do have to think and wonder if you commit a crime when you're 14 years old or 16 years old or 19, however old these girls were, and you're now in your mid 70s, do you even fucking remember it? Like, do you remember Mm. why? If you are high on drugs, does it just feel like somebody else's life? I don't know. Hmm. Now I'm going to move back on to Charles Manson. I know I've been flip-flopping all over the shop and I hope that you guys can keep up with me, but Charles Manson was sent to a maximum security prison in Concoran. I don't know how to pronounce that, California. And that's not how you pronounce that. That's just me being silly. He had been denied parole 11 times. And while in prison... He assaulted prison staff. He dealt marijuana. He was found to be planning an escape when they found 100 feet of nylon rope and a mail order catalogue for hot air balloons. So he thought he was going to make a getaway. He was going to float out. Fucking on another planet. A hot air balloon. Absolutely. And in 1986, he published his story, Manson, in his own words. Go read it if you want. I'm not going to go there. Charles Manson died in prison, Michelle, which I don't know if you know. He died in November 2017. He was aged 80 fucking three wow that whole thing of you know the good die young he didn't have as much acid yeah well (laughs) july this year 2023 this is what you've been waiting for michelle the first family member was finally granted parole and it was leslie van houten okay she was released from prison age 73 with some of them who knew her saying she's a good person who did a bad thing she's now living in a halfway house in california Deborah Tate, not so keen on this, she's Sharon's sister. And even though Leslie Van Houten apparently didn't have any hands on during those murders, and she was definitely present during the other murders, Sharon's sister said she is praying that every moment of pleasure that Leslie experiences, she gets vivid flashbacks of the murders. But the final word for this episode, Michelle, would be from Van Houten. Okay. She says, as a rehabilitated woman, I would like to state that the insight I have gained is not meant to excuse any of my acts. So you're right. What you said earlier, she was only released last month. What is life going to be like for Leslie Van Houten? Will she be given a new identity? Where will she work? She has, you know, she's trained. She's got degrees. She's been a tutor. She can get work. But what's life going to be like? She's not going to work. She's going to have to be a ward of the state because she's, oh, she's beyond retirement age. 
she's not going out into the workforce. But also, I do also wonder, do people game the system? Are people with that much time on their hands, you know, 60 odd years in prison, do they know how to act like a good person, to game it, to get out? And underneath, maybe are they still evil? Or as whatever you had said before, a good person who did a bad thing in a fucked up situation. I don't know. And I flip flop on my feelings about that. Yeah. I'm just thinking now, I mean, that's just going to stain your soul though, isn't it? That heinous crime and being present and being a participant, I think. Well, you know, we did do a true crime episode quite a few episodes back, a hometown murder, where in very similar kind of situation, a young person had killed their sister and he's out of jail. He's got a Christian lifestyle, married Mm. with kids. How does he live with himself? Knowing a little bit like Sharon Tate's sister that his sister who he murdered will never have joy, happiness, never experience anything like that. Is it a stain on your soul? Do you live with that every day? Do you kind of live your life, you know, go to work, cook your dinner and then get a Mm. flashback of fuck? Yeah. Like I I don't know because I'm not in that situation. But But there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff out there that you can read. Diane Lake's got a book. There's a lot of things. I mean, the reason why I decided to look into this was because there is a show on Netflix at the moment, which isn't that great, actually, called How to Be a Cult Leader. And it started with the Manson family. It's not very detailed, but that's when I found out that Leslie Van Houten had been released from prison last month. Yeah. And there's another thing which is quite detailed and difficult to listen to, but it gives you everything you need to know. And it is a podcast called You Must Remember This by Karina Longworth. She goes into Hollywood's golden ears, all the scandalous stories you've ever heard. She's got the lowdown. So she's got a, a probably about four or five, maybe seven episodes all about the Manson family and the murders. Well, Jen's a big fan of You Must Remember This. She loves that podcast. So Jen probably knows all about it. Thank you so much for that story. I thought I knew some stuff about the Manson family and what went down, but actually turns out my knowledge was quite thin on the ground. So Well, I fleshed it out for you. How about that? That's a deep fucking dive. You went you went deep on that. Thank you so much. There was bits I could have gone further, so I just tried to kind of, of glean the top. I mean, I am fascinated in the psychology behind it and then the way that those women behaved in court, it was just abhorrent to everybody obviously to Deborah Tate as well and her, and the rest of the family members they couldn't bear it JC Brings nephew has also been outspoken about the fact that she's been released as well they can't bear the fact that they're getting to live when their family members are not alive I think that's really tough and the lack of respect shown yeah but I also think if they really were brainwashed still under the influence of drugs like LSD crazed they probably weren't 100% in control of their reactions to what was really going on. I mean, that's no excuse. Horrible stuff, but wow. Thank you. And do you know what? I will say that if you found this episode today interesting on cults, we've got a double whammy for you because I'm going to be doing a, a cult next week for you to hear all about because we're on a a cult trip. On a trip. <laughs> We're on a- Are we tripping? <laughs> We're tripping. We're on the cult bus. Toot toot. 
Oh, God. Toot, toot, kill, kill. Toot, toot, shoot, shoot. Toot, toot, shoot, shoot. Don't do it. Don't join a cult. Don't kill people. That is the word from us. That is the word. Don't do that. But you know what? On a lighter note, I will say, because you know I love a telly wreck. Yes. But I will say I've got an anti-wreck today. Oh, something not to watch. Don't watch this. Michelle hates it. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I watched the first episode. Um, it's called The Idol. And it's got... Oh, Johnny Depp's daughter in it, is it? Yeah, Lily Rose Depp in it, who, by the way... Looks like shit. Are you joking? She's fucking stunning. No, I said the show looked like shit. Oh, I thought the you show meant looked she like looked like shit. No, I wouldn't say that about a young girl, honestly. She's so beautiful. My God. The only reason, really, to watch it would be to look at her because you can't take your eyes off her. But what a pile of steaming doo-doo. Like, it was terrible. It was meant to be so edgy and really hyped as one of the big things to watch this season. And yeah, it was quite rubbish. And it's by the same guy who did Euphoria. And I really loved season one of Euphoria. Speaking of which, the guy who played Fezco committed suicide. So yeah, Angus Cloud, really sad. Michelle, Mm. I have to say something. You've called it that before and I know you're going to hate this. I've been taught that it's no longer commit. So you suicide, you suicided. You took your own life. You can't say commit suicide anymore. Oh. I mean, you can. Well, since when have we been woke? <laughs> since we, when do we care about that shit? You can say it. Of course you can. What? So you suicided? Suicided. To say commit suicide, apparently that has been discouraged. Okay. What's the reasoning behind that? Is it because it's... It's not a crime. Yes, but commit is a word of... It's an act. Yeah, you've acted. Yeah. It's something that you've done. No, I don't know. But just saying it, just in case it's triggered anyone or we get... Yeah, fair know, enough. Somebody thinks we're not woke. You know, we're not. We're not fucking we're not woke. woke. <laughs> I'm definitely not woke. But we are sensitive, aren't we? So if yes, somebody doesn't like the terminology that we use, then we will make an effort to change it. Yes, we will. We're not that old yet. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I will try to not say commit suicide But this guy died. Yeah, he did. And... uh I don't know the show, so... Yeah, season one was great. Season two, it's a bit rubbish. Yeah, the idol, fucking avoid. Steer away. Avoid, avoid, avoid. So that's my anti-wreck for this week. To be honest... It wasn't on my list of things to do. Well, what what have you got? What have you got to watch? Nothing. Yeah, me Nothing. Either. I'm not watching anything. Gogglebox, the last time you came over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who has time, right? <laughs> oh, but I do want to watch, you know, on Gogglebox, they talked about the Idris Elba thing where he's on a plane and it gets hijacked. And I do want to watch that. It's called Hijacked. I want to watch that. See, I have no interest in that at all. It's not oh. for me. No, it's not for me. I much prefer to watch Rose Byrne in physical in some great leotards. Okay, well, I'll watch that as well. Let's see. Yes. Anyone else got any recommendations? Do write in. We love it. But also, I loved your story and I think it's time that I love you and leave you. Yes, it's that time. It's the time to say, wherever you are, whatever you do, just, just keep, keep eavesdropping. 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 eavesdropping.